Hello everyone and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White and this is, of course, as you know, the original and exclusive podcast of Waxwork.com. Just wanted to say, this is going to be kind of a uh, unusual episode in that we're not playing most of our radio serials. We're just playing some really quick things. It's a fill-in fill episode. What we're going to have for you this time is, first of all, an interview that Charles Berman did with Mr. Frank Allen. So uh, this was done back between seasons one and two of Debatatorium, I believe. So it was a while back. And it, it's Charles Berman interviewing Frank Allen rather than vice versa. Hopefully you all dig that. It turned out quite well. Then we're going to have our This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History with Rory Sinjin, as always. And finally, we're going to have one other Frank Allen feature, which is, if you listen to the last episode of the podcast, you heard an episode of Guard Duty where Frank Allen did an interview with Ron Riley, editor of The Password. Well, we've got the audio for that interview. We're going to play it in its entirety so that you can hear what they're saying when the Stallion and the Jack were talking, because there's actually stuff being said there you, you could hear. It just probably couldn't make it out. Now you can hear that interview in whole. And we'll be back next week, of course, with all the regular serials and with the full accompaniment of hosts. This is just a quick little brief, hoping that Frank gets better, saving us all some time, letting us get a little bit ahead. Anyway, let's get right to this stuff. Enjoy. And uh, I'll be seeing you. Hi, I'm Stella Decker. And I'm Macy Hayes. I know better than anybody that Parlor Town can be a tough city. It's hard to know who you can trust. You can't always go to the cops. With a city so full of corruption. It's good to know that you can count on someone. Decker and Hayes Detective Agency. The toughest private dicks in town. Decker and Hayes, an original lesbian detective radio serial. All episodes are available for download at waxwork.com. That's W-A-X hyphen W-O-R-K dot com. And available for listening on WHRW Binghamton. But we have another a WHRW celebrity with us. You are? My name is Frank Allen. Thank now, you for having me. Of course. And it's too kind of you to call me a celebrity. It was really your mother that had you. Um, I just contributed on the radio. Well, it, I appreciate it. Now, you're the host of Debatatorium 2006. 2006, yeah. And in the early days of Waxworks, which is at wax-work.com. Yeah, you're, you're putting an S at the end, and there's no S. It's Waxwork. I'm sorry, Mr. Yeah. No, I'm just, I mean, technically, Waxwork is Jordan's. Uh, he's, he's the one who, his, he, he, he allows me a piece of his show. Well, that's very kind, because you're, you're, you're a very talented man. Well, thank you. But in the early days of Tractor Fiction, Jordan was the host. At, well, yes, for very, uh, about a show and a half, I believe, he hosted. Uh, he did all of the first episode, and about halfway through the second episode, I kind of just came in and started talking. Now, usually that's considered a little unorthodox. I mean... Well, to be honest, the show was his idea, okay? I'll be honest. But it was a show that I was really very passionate about, and uh, I wanted to help out in any way I could, and uh, Jordan just didn't seem like he knew how to keep it going, how to keep uh, asking questions of the uh, debaters, and so I just started to jump in. I have a question. How did you and Jordan meet? Uh, Well, we... We met because uh, we met on the internet uh, in a uh, in a in a Jack Chick chat room. I see. So you were in there chatting about Jack Chick, who yeah. we should explain to the audience writes religious tracts 
He, he's not in agreement with Gene Ray, who we listened to earlier on a lot of points, because, for instance, Jack Chick believes in God, whereas Gene Ray thinks God is evil. And well, Jack Chick mean? believes a lot of interesting things. Yes. Uh, he believes that uh, the Pope is the Antichrist. He believes, uh, well, he believed the previous Pope was the Antichrist. I don't know his feelings on the new Pope, but I'm assuming they're similar. And if there can be more than one Antichrist, the current Pope is the Antichrist. Uh, he believes that uh, witchcraft is... Uh, uh, given power by the devil, he believes that, uh, oh, I mean, an awful lot of things, an awful lot of crazy, interesting things. And we and we discussed a lot of them. On He believes the Holocaust was perpetrated by, by Catholics. Right. So let me just get this straight. You were chatting about Jack Chick yeah. on the Internet. Yeah. And you realized this guy Jordan had a show, and you just barged in one day and started hosting his show? No, actually, we, we met before his show started. And he said, I have an idea for a show. I'm going to do this show. And... Uh, I realized we discussed that he was local. Uh, I'm living here in Binghamton, and he is as well. And uh, I listened to the first episode of the show, and I said, and then I saw him on the chat room. And I said, "That was that was wonderful. Can I can I come in and observe?" And I did. I came in, like I said, I came in as an observer. And for the entire tract itself, the performance of the tract for the second episode, I I believe it was the second one. I didn't say anything. I didn't host the show at the beginning. But when it came time to have the debate, I just kind of. I saw that he was over his head. Obviously. And I took, I just said, you know what, I'm going to allow me. Because I, quite frankly, you're a lot smarter than Jordan is. Well, we've, we've had our, our arguments, but, I mean, Jordan knows a lot of things. And he's been, he's been, he has been on Tractor Fiction since then. I think I heard that episode. Yes, he yes was famously on with, in the last episode. With a man episode. named uh, Frank Allen. I, I, I'm Frank uh, Allen. He was also on with, I think, a cat. Yes, his cat was on as an expert. And, and, and uh, an Englishman named, named Rory Sinjin, I think. Rory Sinjin. Uh, he and I, Rory agreed to be on the show. Uh, he and I don't typically get along, but we did in this case. Is the rumor true that if you should ever fall ill, Rory would take over debatatorium? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, I will, I will, I haven't written up a show will, so to speak, but maybe I should if that's the rumor, because I don't want that to happen. Do you no. think Jordan would take it over again? I'd rather have Jordan than Rory, but there, what, I might be able to find it. What's the source of this animosity between you and Rory? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, look, we just have different views. He, he has, I think part of it is became, in the early days of Waxwork, back when Waxwork, Welcome to the Waxwork, Jordan's show, when it, back when it was a, uh, a live show, right. we both had segments on the show live, and it was, more, it was mostly a green room thing. You know what I mean? I understand. I'd be waiting in the lobby, and I had certain things that I said to Jordan that he needed to have waiting for me in the yeah. lobby. And sometimes Roy would come in, and he would he would um, ingest the food I had requested. If you, mm, I, mean, I don't want to name names, but you know the products I had specifically asked for, and they'd be gone. That's very rude of him. Yeah. Now I think he didn't understand at the time, but still. There's a lot of things he doesn't understand. Well, he understands a lot of things differently, that's for yeah. sure. Now, let me just, I mean, I think a lot of people are curious to know this. I mean, you, you're obviously the star host of Debatatorium right now. But yes. in the past, you, before this, you were obviously a very well-qualified man, knowledgeable about almost everything. And yet, you were spending your time on Jack Chick chat rooms, not doing anything that we can really trace. Oh, and, no, I'm, okay, you know, that's, well, that's true. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. You're saying, here I am, uh, a radio host. Well, why, where's my previous shows? Right, I'm just curious. Well, um, I didn't really have any actual broadcast shows. I, I did a lot of shows, you know, at home. Okay. Uh, I would have people come to my house and I would do interviews. But that's, 
I would. Rec- I mean, I have them recorded. Of course. But and I just have never broadcast them. They were not on a podcast or a web. Oh no, 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 no. I I didn't have back. At, I mean, this was this was a few years back. So you have you had a lot of radio experience, just not broadcast or in any way disseminated radio. Home, experience. Yeah, home radio, home radio. It was. I mean, it wasn't broadcast ever. I I would play it back to myself. So I mean, I heard it. It sounded great. So I I guess you could say you had a hundred percent audience appreciation. Absolutely. Uh, I I would write in letters and I would read them on the air and they were quite uh, glowing. <laughs> Ava, do you have a I, question? Wait, you read them on the air, but I thought you didn't broadcast. I, it's a euphemism. Okay. <laughs> okay. On the, on the, I mean, I would, you know, on mic. I, yeah, on mic. I would be in my living room saying, "Hello, this is this is Frank Allen," and I'm on the air, but I wouldn't really be on the. Air. I would be on my. I mean, I'd be in the air. You know what I mean? Like I'd be speaking out loud. A lot of waxwork listeners are confused, um, and they want to know what exactly your association is with Franklin Allenton. I have no association with this man. Okay. I would rather have Rory Sinjin host the <laughs> than, Franklin than Franklin Allenton. Franklin Allenton is a, uh, a pretender to the throne, so right. to speak. Right. I, in, in this metaphor, I am the king, and he is the king be. I see. So he, he's sort of like a want to be king. That's yeah. That was I that, compressed it. Yeah, because you're well, you're much cleverer than I am. But oh, go on. All right. So you and Jordan D. White both seem to have a fascination with the Jack Chick. Why is that? What what fascinates you about him? Um. All right. Well, look. I'm going to tell you something that may have come clear during the original airings of Tractor Fiction. Um. I think that Jack Chick is a complete nut. I see. I don't believe that he's right about almost anything. If he put out a track saying, yes, the sky's blue, I'd go, hmm, wow, I, maybe not. Because I, just, I really don't believe it. And so I used to try to hide it, that I disagreed with him about everything, uh, when I was doing the show, Tractor Fiction. But now that it's over, I feel comfortable. I can say... He, he, I think he was wrong about everything, but that's my opinion. I right. think he's he's wrong. About but everything. you never gave that away on the show. I, well, you know, like I said, I may have a few times. Yeah, but but you you agree with Jordan in this respect? Yes, which is probably why he won the debate. I, right. But, I mean, the coin actually did not have as much of a say in this debate. Oh, I I can't say that out loud. Oh, but uh, all right. I'll give you a wink. Wink. There you are. Thank you, um, Frank. In in actuality, though, seriously. Uh, if if Jordan and I had different opinions, we we do disagree about some things. Famously, he voted for uh, John Kerry, and I voted for George Bush. Oh, okay. Well, that okay. I understand. We do disagree about some things, but uh, if we both if we disagreed about Jack Chick, we couldn't have done a show together. Right. I mean, it would be too fundamental of a disagreement. Now, I have a question for you, just about your guests, because you've had a lot of interesting guests on. You've had a. We certainly have. Uh, a good Hitler from another dimension. That's true. You've had Emeril's wife. That's also true. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Lagasse. Right. Elder, yes. A lot of very unusual guests. Some people famous, so to speak. Some people just average citizens. Yes. How do you get these people on your show? Uh, well, I have less to do with that than you might think. I, uh, I, I mean, my name is obviously somewhat of a draw at this point. Right. But I don't actually do the booking. I have, you know, I have people. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I had an intern... Uh, whose name I forget. I fired her. Well, uh, I mean, I, I forgot her name because I fired her. Right. She, she had a habit of leaving the door open. Lots of people would just walk into the studio. Right. Um, I didn't really approve of that because then we had people who didn't know anything at all. Uh, but sometimes 
you know, sometimes people, uh, their agents will get in touch with us saying, mm-hmm. we want to we wanna get some good press here. Uh, and I believe that that was the case with Good Hitler. Uh-huh. Now, uh, you know, other times we, uh, I believe we, out, we outreach to people as well. For example, in the Good Hitler case, uh, his opponent, his first opponent, Mr. Uh, it was Nar- Narm- Namreb. Namreb. Namreb, yeah. We, uh, I think we put in a call to him because we heard he was a good debater and we wanted to have somebody on who could match wits with Hitler. He was very convincing, I thought, when I listened to that one. But He was. Uh, he was beaten narrowly. Yes. And I, I, I hope to hear him again, frankly. Uh, well, you know, there are wild cards, so you never know. Yeah. But, well, Ava has a question. Uh, you can go first. No, go ahead. Okay. Are there any guests that have caused any sort of major disturbances in the studio? Any stories you'd like to tell? Uh, well, there is, uh, there's one kind of infamous case. I wish I... Now, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be, so I have a little bit of trouble with names. As you can tell in the show, because a lot of times I'll have to... Say, what's your name again? Uh, <laughs> right, at the I've, beginning I've of the show. I've noticed that happens sometimes. Uh, I, may, I mean, I probably should write these things down, but I don't. Um, at any rate, uh, so I forget her name now, off the top of my head, but we at one point had a quote-unquote blackologist on the show. A blackologist? Now, she was, I believe, the only... Uh, no, we might have had one other debater lose by default, but she was. Uh, she very famously lost by default. It was in a, our last season, very close to the end. It was debating uh, the tract Soul Story, and she lost uh, because she was, uh, she was murdered uh-huh. in the studio because of her views, and everybody was kind of comfortable with that. I see. So blackology is not really an accepted viewpoint in... It's, in well, it's not, and the things that it espouses. I mean, you know. The color black. No, no. It was far more offensive than that. Oh, I see. All right. Um, now, the callers in Debatatorium, I've noticed that they all have very high-quality telephones. They do. You can um, almost not tell that they're on the phone. We have an amazing show. Uh, we, have, we have great producers. We, have, uh, we get great deals through lo- every single telephone company imaginable, um, but none that are open to the public, so don't bother asking for this service. Um, also, we have, and um, you may have noticed, we have an amazingly respectful audience. You, they're they're silent. Almost. We we ask them. Listen, we're doing a live we're doing a live broadcast here. Uh, please don't make a lot of noise. And, and they, they don't. don't. They don't. It's great. Yeah. Now you you have a call screener that only lets in the most um, the most sort of off the wall callers. It seems like you've had uh, well, I, I mean, relevant callers, of course, you, superheroes you let on the line. But you seem to have some very sometimes incomprehensible or maybe insane callers. Is that done on purpose? No. Uh, well, I mean, I should say no. Uh, you said I have a call screener, but in fact, like I, like I sort of alluded to earlier, I, I have had a number of call screeners. Uh, every once in a while we have an episode where I say, you know, uh, you're not doing your job here. <laughs> uh, I'll leave it to you to decide which uh, calls caused firings. But there's been a few. I understand. We have a high turnover here. Right. Right, which may account for the incompetence of my interns, but it's a it's a fact. I, I'm sorry. I I I understand perfectly. Now, Mr. Allen. Yes. This question has come up in the past. Some of the people on your show s- seem to have accents that are totally unplaceable. Uh, now, what what sort of places do these people come from that? I mean, sometimes they sound sort of English or Irish, but you can't really tell where they're from. I don't really understand. That's that's an interesting question. Um, well, 
I mean, I can't account for my guests' uh, heritage, really. Of course, I mean, of course. For all I know, they could be lying. They might not be British or Irish at all. Are you saying people might go on Debatatorium or Tract and Fiction, Tract or Fiction, and use a funny voice? Um, no, I'm not saying they would. I'm saying it's possible. I mean, we we have people whose jobs it is to vet these people. Of course. But I trust those underlings, and again, I, I have to fire them a lot, so you never know. Um, however, I, I should point out that at least once, I believe we had a uh, an entire uh, we had an entire tract on Tractor Fiction performed by. Uh, an entire troupe of actual British actors who had the really? most realistic British accents ever because they were British. Well, everybody knows that um, British actors are the, the best actors around. And they do the best British accents. Because they study them from sure. birth. They're totally convincing most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, you could hear in the occasional slip. Right. So, now, Eva, you would ask the final question of Mr. Frank Allen... Uh, the final question, all right. Um, what do you think was the most memorable experience you've ever had on Tractor Fiction or Debate Atorium uh, 2006? What was the most memorable experience you've ever had in that? That's a really tough question, um, but I, I, I appreciate you asking. Let me think about this for just a minute. Um, I've had a lot of good times uh, on the show. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of celebrities on the show. We've had... Charlton Heston was on the show a few times. We became friends. Um, I would say, hmm, gosh. I, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to go with, and as, as cheesy as this sounds, I really liked working with Jordan on the air. So I'm going to go with the last episode of Tractor Fiction because it was, it was pretty, uh, it was a powerful stuff. We, we had, I, I, I made up with Rory for the purposes of the show. That was... It felt good. It was touching, I have to say. It felt good. And I had Jordan on. You know, he hadn't been on for a while. He, once in a while, would act on it, but he most of the time didn't. Oh, and I, you know, I should mention that this wasn't in Tractor Fiction or Debatatorium, but I did have a ball um, acting in the show Decker and Hayes. Great show. I loved the Father Bly character. In the Father Bly character? Um, yeah. I, now, I, my character was already... No, my character existed with Father Bly, didn't he? I, I was confused there. Sorry. Yeah. So, no, no, he didn't. Did he? Well, I... No, what season was Father Bly? Third season? I, I was believe in the he second was. season. Yeah. So I never interact with Father Bly. So thank you, Frank Allen, for coming out of hiding it's my and pleasure. appearing on WHRW Binghamton. Uh, you know, I love the station. I, I would love to be on WHRW Binghamton even more than I am. I'm sorry. Can I just ask one more question? Go ahead. You may. I, I know you're talking about uh, Jordan D. White and his acting on your show. Do you think Jordan D. White's a good actor? Well, uh, you know, he do, he has his moments. He would play uh he would play the devil every once in a while and it would be kind of humorous especially the stupid faces he'd make while he was acting. <laughs> he does. He does these kind of like I, I can't describe them on the air but it, I could do an impression but you'd have to see me and that doesn't work on the radio. But it's very funny. Do you do impressions of his voice? No, I, I can't. I mean, I can try, but I don't think Let's, it'll. Drew, please do a Jordan D. White. No harm. I'd love to hear. Do a Jordan D. White voice. All right. Um like what what is he? Hi, this is the Jack. <laughs> God, that, that sounded just like him. I, right. That was a good impression. All right, this is Jack. I'm so silly. <laughs> That's him on guard duty. You know. Good job. Thanks. All right, you want to do a station ID for us? Sure. I, I, I mean, I've done them before, but okay. You're listening to WHRW Binghamton. This is Frank Allen of Debatatorium 2006.
Thank you for coming on, Frank. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hello, my name is Roy Sinjin, and this is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Back on June 30th, 1859, Jean-Francois Gravelet, a Frenchman known professionally as Emile Blondin, becomes the first daredevil to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Wearing pink tights and a yellow tunic, Blondin crossed a cable about two inches in diameter and 1,100 feet long, with only a balancing pole to help him. Oh, sacre bleu, this is a long rope to walk. Hey, Jim. Jim, get over here. Yeah? Yes? All right. You're, you're just First, Jim. Yeah. Second, Jim. Jim number one is what I like to be called. <laughs> I am Jim to, too. We're going to too. cut his tight rope. Top rope. I was just going to hand him some knives. He needs now, knives to give this trick some pizzazz. Hold I'm on. I'm eating a baguette. Jim number one, your job is sit there. My job is watch. Jim number two. Yes? You're going to cut the rope. Here's the knife. What? Blade first. Oh, God. Oh, 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 Jim number three. Jim number three, you idiot. You always hand knives hit first. Where were you raised? I am bleeding profusely out oh, of my no. life. My plan is foiled. He's walking across. Ah, oh, oh, out of pain. Yay, he made it. Yay. Ah, those idiots, they didn't know that you're not supposed to pass a blade, blade first. Hey, tightrope walker, don't let me away with them. I said the same thing. And, and good job, good job. I am dying slowly. And Blondin did make it across the uh, Niagara Falls, which is a good thing, because otherwise he would have fallen and died, which is a bad thing. While I don't recommend cutting a daredevil's line, when you hand someone a blade, always make sure you hand them the hilt first, so that they don't cut their hands open, as that criminal did. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. What's with all the Frenchmen? I mean, come on, seriously. My name is Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. In this case, we have the Frenchman who was a daredevil who crossed Niagara Falls. You're probably wondering how he knew so much about how to properly pass blades. He was once in a blade juggling act, and they said, Here, have these blades. And they handed them to him blade first, and all of his fingers were chopped off. After that, he got prosthetic fingers, which were encased in kind of a skin-like substance that made them look just like normal hands, but they operated on electronics and all sorts of scientific things like that. Now, this was a problem because he actually hadn't at that point learned his lesson. And he said, Oh, uh, hand me that blade. I don't particularly care how you hand it to me. You might as well do it blade first. And his beautiful wife, who was at the time his assistant, handed him the blade, blade first. And the very sharp blade went right into his robotic fingers and fried his wife so much so that it cooked all of her meat. Everybody smelled it and said, Oh, that smells really good. Came in to get some dinner. But it was a dead woman. It was not pleasant. At that point was when he realized, Oh my goodness, I guess you probably shouldn't hand a blade, blade first. And then he did the walking across and he kind of cheated, to be totally honest with you, because his fingers had automatic balancing mechanisms. On them, but I won't tell if you won't. This is Rory Sinjin on Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Our first guest is Ron Riley, who is, of course, the publisher of the news magazine known as The Password. Mr. Riley began the magazine in 1994 and immediately focused on the exploits of the Earth Guard and other superheroes. One of their first stories dealt with the connections between Stanton Enterprises and whether or not federal funding was being used in their dial-up and broadband projects. Since then, the password has continued to make waves, including their most recent articles detailing the personal exploits of the otherworldly heroine Peace Blossom. Ron Riley joins us in the studio to discuss his magazine, their stories and ethics, and to discuss the next issue of the password due out tomorrow, which he promises will feature all new revelations. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Frank. It's our pleasure, I'm sure. Uh, let's start at the beginning. What inspired you to start the password? Well, you know, Frank, I just felt there was a need for it. The Earth Guard is, as they always remind us, made up of the world's most powerful heroes. Yes, they are constantly discussed in the press, but 
no offense, Frank, but I felt someone needed to cast a critical eye on them instead of blindly praising them. You see the danger when such people have enormous power and they, they have a blank slate from the government to do what they please. The danger is, what will these people do when we're not watching? What will these people accomplish? For example, did you vote for the stallion? Did you vote for the jack? Well, no, of course we didn't. Um, so you're saying we have kind of a social obligation to challenge them. I would say that we should have a deep-seated fear of these people. Or should we call them people, or should we call them monstrosities of nature? Just because someone falls into a vat of nuclear acid and develops powers doesn't mean that they have a moral superiority to the rest of us. Okay, but here's the thing. In the most recent issue, you divulge information about Peace Blossom's personal life. You talk about her there. As you know, I can't reveal our sources, of course, but yes, we have it on good authority that Peace Blossom and at least one other woman were in and out of various hotels in Rome. You say at least. As some of our sources claim she was seen with a pair of women. Regardless, we have confirmed that the rooms they rented were all single, king sized bed suites. While she did check in under an assumed name, many witnesses have placed her in Rome at the time, not the least of which is the National News, which saw her defeating the Holy Roman. The implication, of course, being that Peas Blossom is... No. We can't be responsible for what our readers infer from our articles. We are presenting the information we uncovered, and our readers can make of it what they will. We don't imply we state facts. But surely you can tell what kinds of things your readers are going to infer from what you're saying. I mean, there are certain connotations to the facts that you're stating. We don't present a spin, we present the facts. And if people are assuming things that the Earth Guard find repugnant, then frankly, that's a problem for the Earth Guard, not for me. I don't have a problem with it. If the Earth Guard is ashamed, if they are ashamed of what they're doing, then, then they should re-examine themselves, and maybe, in fact, they should step down off of their big tower in space, and they should join the rest of us down here for a while. Well, sure, I can understand questioning them. I mean, they are way more powerful than any one of us down here, but surely the Earth Guard serves a useful function for us all. For example, if not for them, who would take out the supervillains that attack us? Who would stop Lady Luna? Who would bring down the creationists? Heck, who would stop Gas Mask? You know what? I thank them for stopping those people. They do a great community service. But just because they help people doesn't mean they're any better than you and I. I'm just holding them to the same standards I would any other person and showing that they have their faults just like you or I. But you don't question any other normal person. You just question superheroes. Well, frankly, I have to sell magazines too, don't I? People are interested in these in these. These monstrosities, they are like celebrities. But in the new issue, you're not talking about superheroes, you're talking about a supervillain, is that no, correct? Once again, I find the problem in the phraseology of that. What makes a supervillain a supervillain? Once we actually got the opportunity to speak to the mollusk, things, things came to light that were heretofore unknown. Well, how did this come about? Ah, well, it was during the mollusk's attack on Baltimore. While the crabs were attacking, he came into our offices with his... This psychic starfish, basically, and just stuck it right onto one of my writers. Through this starfish, he was able to communicate with our writer telepathically. He wanted to tell his side of the story, get his message to the world. And so you interviewed him? Well, the writer Todd Call did, yes. Now, some would say that it's inappropriate to do an interview with a man 
well, if he is a man, a man who is considered a wanted terrorist. What would they have had me do? Punch him? I'm no superhero, and I assure you, none of our staff is either. A terrorist was insisting we interview him. He had us trapped with his creatures. Were we supposed to shoot staples at him? (laughs) We interviewed him. We did what he told us. So, but why did the mollusk go to such lengths to be interviewed by you? Why did he want this to happen? Well, that in and of itself says something about the mollusk, doesn't it? He wants us to understand where he's coming from. He wants us to understand why he's waging war against our country. Did you know that the oil company that George Bush ran before he decided to become president of our country, it failed and all the rigs land now at the bottom of the sea. They're leaking, they're destroying, they're killing sea creatures. So he's concerned, he's concerned with the, the, the well-being of the sea creatures? Well, frankly, it's because we struck the first blow. We hit first and now they're bringing the fight into our own backyard. It's Pearl Harbor all over again, except this time it's our fault and we deserve it. So you're saying he uh, he feels he represents the the ocean world in some way. He's acting on us in behalf of the people of the ocean? Yes, and as it turns out, he has every right to, and somebody has to. That's why he went to such extraordinary lengths. You may not be aware of this, but due to overfishing, pollution, noise pollution, under the sea there's huge issues. These Animals are being driven to insanity by the effects of our machinery in their land. Are you aware that those swim-with-the-dolphin cruises are actually quite cruel? Those poor dolphins are caught, clubbed, beaten, and then forced to swim around with nasty American schoolchildren who violently poke them in their holes. Now, but why hasn't Ocean Man ever brought any of these issues to light? Ocean Man is a great big fraud. I have it from Mollusk himself that Ocean Man is not king of Atlantis. But why would he lie to Earthguard? and the people. I'm not sure why he's been lying all this time, but according to the mollusk, he is the leader of the Atlantean undersea forces. That's why he's been striking out at us on the surface world all this time. He assures me that Ocean Man is not and has never been king of the ocean world in any sense. Couldn't this be an attempt by the villain to discredit Ocean Man? We considered that, of course, but it just doesn't make any sense. The mollusk has never been able to communicate with humanity before, and his first attempt is a lie about a hero he's rarely ever even faced? As far as we can tell, the only time Ocean Man has ever gone up against the mollusk was three years ago on the Florida coast, which, according to the mollusk, was when he attempted to communicate with Ocean Man through the use of a magical Atlantean conch. The mollusk actually believes that Ocean Man understood him, but that Ocean Man deliberately broke the conch and has been avoiding the mollusk ever since. And we can't find a single time he's gone up against him since then. You'll notice that Ocean Man was there to help fight Boulder yesterday, but where was he when Mollusk was attacking? Notable in his absence, if you ask me. Well, the newest issue of the Password uh, featuring the interview with the Mollusk goes on sale tomorrow. Uh, We'll be back with more from Ron Riley just after these messages. Waxwork.com wants to introduce you to its newest project, the Wax Burger. It's one quarter pound of beef digitally fried and served up to you exactly as you order it. Just click on Download Burger and you'll discover that the best burgers are not ordered in restaurants, but on the internet. But remember, there are no kids' meals at Waxwork.com, so parents, be cautious. Can we go to Waxwork.com? Maybe when you're older, kids. Aww. Each of our projects is made especially with the FDA guidelines for nutrition for a healthier you. And if you act now, you can get one of our combo meals. One 
Wexburger and your choice of sides, including cereals and poetry. Waxwork.com, all original, creative beef products. On the next episode of Cast and Wax, unlike Mother, Pandora gets close to her teacher. You know you can always talk to me, Pandy. You can share anything with me, and I'll never tell. I'm very good at keeping secrets. I'm hoping you are too, since I could get into quite a bit of trouble if anyone were to find out I gave you a ride. On Debatatorium, lots of very intelligent arguments are made. The United Nations is, uh, make point about countries altogether to nation state. So, United Nations government meeting, entirely delegates, you see? Yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying, uh, but I don't know what it means. And on Decker and Hayes, Tommy Potsdam worries about the things a proper British gentleman should. I don't really know how to ask this, but nothing indecent happened last night, did it? I I wasn't I- improper, was I? Oh, goodness, no, silly. You passed out and I let you sleep. Thank goodness. All this plus historical facts and perhaps a Frank Allen interview coming on July 7th to Waxwork.com. <laughs>